Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. We're going to pray and we're just going to say this, Lord, help us. Bless this mess <laughs> and speak through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can put that uh, slide up, that picture. Um, if you can't find it, that's okay. Um, we're going to continue our series this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to be too long. I'm well aware of the fact that we have kids in here, that we didn't do children's church. That's okay. If they yell or they scream or they're loud, they're bothering you way more than they're bothering me. If you can't preach over a kid, you're not called to preach. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm serious. If you cannot preach over a crying baby, a screaming kid, or a cell phone, you are not called to preach. Go somewhere else in Jesus' name. All right. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that, but oh well. Uh, <laughs> it's too late. It's too late to apologize. Anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I also know everybody's hungry and there's food. We will get to it. We will get to it, I promise. Guys, I am um, going to continue our series and our resolution about resolving to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm not going to go through a big, long recap if you guys haven't been following along, we got a YouTube channel, we got Facebook, we got Spotify, we got podcasts, you can catch up. But we've went through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and we are up to the point, last week he called his disciples, and now we're going to get into his actual earthly ministry, the teaching and preaching and the miraculous phase. And people all will divide Jesus' ministry up into all these different little sections and subsections. I don't do that. I say this, Jesus was a prophet, priest, and king. During his earthly ministry, he fulfilled the role of a prophet, which means he taught the word of God. He said what God said, and then he did miracles to back it up. When he went through his suffering and his death and his resurrection, he fulfilled the role of priest, and that was accomplishing the service of God and our atonement. And he sits on the throne as king forevermore. Does that mean that when he was a prophet, he wasn't a priest and a king? No, it just means that that was the area of ministry he was fulfilling in primary at that point in time. So Jesus is prophet, priest, and king his ministry up that's how you do it so as a prophet he taught and he did miracles and so instead of going through every teaching and every miracle i figured we would take one week to look at his miracles and next week to look at his teaching so today i want to focus on the miracles and then i had to ask myself lord i had to ask myself lord i don't call myself lord i had to ask god Lord, what miracle do I preach about? <laughs> hey, now come on, I am not that vain. Listen, I might be vain, and I might have a little bit of pride that God's working me through, but I am not that prideful. <laughs> Jesus. It is Pastor Appreciation Sunday now. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Lord, deliver me from myself. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> leave it leave it to lois and back me up hallelujah all right so i was asking god and myself like as i was looking through this i was asking god like what miracle do you preach about if you're going to preach about one miracle to talk about all Jesus' miracles what miracle do you preach about like how do you exalt one miracle of jesus above the rest 
Now I'm talking about from the moment that he's baptized until the moment that he enters into the suffering phase. I'm not talking about the incarnation of the resurrection because in my opinion those two are tied for first. I'm talking about the miracles that he performs during the three and a half years where he's on this earth conducting ministry. How do you exalt one particular miracle above the others? Like the wedding at Cana of Galilee, like turning water to wine. That's pretty fantastic. But is it better than casting out demons? Is it better than raising the dead or healing the sick? Or how about healing the sick from miles away? Like, how do you exalt one miracle of Jesus above the other? Like, Lazarus come forth is pretty awesome, but so is resurrecting Jairus' daughter. And the healing of the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years when he doesn't even realize she's there until after she's already healed. Like, those are some pretty awesome miracles. So how do you exalt one above the rest? And I asked God, and like he so often amazingly does, he didn't answer me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, if I don't know which miracle is the best, how about I just preach the first? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the first miracle of Jesus. John chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, this is when Jesus turns water to wine. And it may not be the best miracle, it may not be exalted above the rest, but it is the only miracle of its kind that we have recorded in Scripture. Now here's the thing about Jesus' miracles. We don't know all the miracles that Jesus did. Because at the end of this same gospel, John will tell us that so great and so numerous and so wonderful were all the works and miracles of Jesus that if they were all put in books, he's confident that the world couldn't contain the sum of them. So we don't know if this is the only miracle of this type that Jesus performed, but it's the only one in Scripture that we have. And we'll exp I'll explain more of that in just a minute. But let's read. We're going to read 11 verses. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, and the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Hallelujah. So, the very first thing I want to say, and this is going to be a little bit different. I'm not, not, not going to preach this way I normally do, but the very first thing I want to say is the third day there was a marriage. Hallelujah. If you don't see the allegorical or the spiritual implications of that right off the cuff, we need to have a conversation. The third day there was a marriage. I love this scripture so much. This is probably, I've I got to stop saying it's my favorite passage because everything's my favorite passage. But this is one of my favorite instances in Scripture, and here's the reason why. It's because it says on the third day there was a marriage, and as it continues on, it says, and Jesus was called to that marriage. 
Faith and I love this passage so much that we actually planned our wedding for May 3rd so that we could use this as the theme for our wedding. On the third day there was a wedding or there was a marriage and Jesus was there. But it gets even better than that. That's a natural relationship that we're using to show that Christ is the center of our marriage and that our marriage will always stand sure because it's not built on shaky ground, but it's built on the solid rock, which is the foundation of Jesus Christ. But there's another marriage, which is a spiritual marriage that was consummated on the third day when Jesus got up out of the grave. When Jesus rose from the dead, there was a marriage. He showed that he conquered death. He disannulled the old covenant and the implications that the law had on you. And he established in its fullness the new covenant where you have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ or with God the Father through Jesus Christ by the eternal spirit that was built on a solid ground of his resurrection. And because he has eternal life, he can extend to you an eternal covenant. On the third day, there was a marriage. Now, that's a lot of big fancy words and a real quick explanation. But the point is, is this is a side note. This isn't even where we're going with this message. But it's a side note. Rest assured that because Jesus conquered death, see, if he would have died on the cross and not got up, it wouldn't have done a thing for us. It wouldn't have done a thing for us. See, Romans, Paul in Romans says this. He says, we're reconciled by the death of Jesus Christ, but we're saved by his life. His death merely canceled out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. And that's fantastic. But we would have messed it up again. He had to rise from the dead and give us his righteousness, not just a righteousness that we can destroy, not just a life that we can ruin, but he had to rise from the dead to give us an eternal life which is beyond the grips of death and establish a covenant whereby we could be eternal participants in that relationship with God. That's what he did on the third day. On the third day there was a marriage. And we'll talk about more about that when we get to the resurrection. But it's important that you understand that everything that we have is because of what happened on that third day. Amen? That's, that's, that's a good point. You can shout. You can preach back to me, okay? You don't have to be quiet. You don't have to be quiet. I talk fast, but you can interrupt. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, that's the very first verse. I want to go to the very last verse. And we're going to kind of bookend this passage. Some people do this for show. I don't know why, but I'm just doing this because this is the way God shared this with me. And the very last verse, it says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And manifested forth his glory. And manifested forth his glory. Here's something about glory. It's meant to be experienced. It's meant to be seen. It's meant to be felt. It's meant to be smelt. It's meant to be tasted. It's meant to be heard. It's something that we are supposed to experience with our five senses. God gave us our five senses, our sensory perception, so that we could investigate and feel out and discover the world around us, right? That's how we discover the world around us is through our five senses. It makes sense that through those same five senses, he gives us an invitation to discover himself. I never take notes to the pulpit. But so that you don't just take my word for it, we're going to do a little scripture investigation. This isn't notes, it's just a list of verses. Mainly because I don't want to turn back and forth to all these verses. You guys don't even have to try to keep up with this. But I'm going to read some verses to you to prove to you that glory is supposed to be seen. It's supposed to be felt. 
It's so supposed to be heard. It's supposed to be perceived through your sense of smell and through your sense of taste. Ready? Let's go. Exodus 16, 7. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord. Exodus 16, 10. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Exodus 24, 16. And the glory of the Lord abode on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Exodus 24, 17. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like divine. Devouring, devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. Exodus thirty-three, eighteen, and he said, "I beseech thee, show me thy glory." Exodus forty, thirty-four and thirty-five. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not even able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And Leviticus nine six. And Moses said, "This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded that you should do, and the glory of the Lord shall." Appear appear unto you. Leviticus 9:23 and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. Numbers 14:10 and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Numbers 14:22 because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I have did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and not hearkened unto my voice. Numbers 16:19 and Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. Numbers 16:42 and it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold the cloud covenant and the glory of the Lord appeared numbers 20 verse 6 and Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and they fell upon their face and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them Deuteronomy 5:24 and ye said behold the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire we have seen this day that God does talk with man and he liveth Second Chronicles 7, 3, And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good and His mercy endureth forever. Psalm 63, 2, To see thy power and thy glory as I have seen in the sanctuary. Psalm 90, 16, Let thy work appear unto the servants and the glory unto the children. Psalm 97, 6, The heavens declare His righteousness and all the people shall see His glory. Psalm 102.16, when the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Isaiah 35.2, and they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Isaiah 40, verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Isaiah 62.2, and the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all the kings shall see thy glory. And thou shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Let's skip down to the New Testament so that you don't just say, oh, that's Old Testament stuff. Matthew twenty four thirty. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and they shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. That's Mark thirteen twenty six. Luke two nine. And the, lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Luke nine thirty one. Who appeared in glory. Luke nine thirty two. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory. Luke twenty one twenty seven, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. John one fourteen, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. John eleven forty, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. John twelve forty one, these things say Isaiah when he saw His glory. I mean, it just keeps going. I won't even finish. It just keeps going. One verse after another verse, and you know what? I narrowed it down from four hundred, and that's just sight. That's not hearing. That's not smelling. That's not tasting. That's not feeling. That's just 
400 references to seeing the glory of God. And when I say you should see His glory, you should experience His glory, I'm not talking about the verb glory. When you glory in something, that means to give praise to it. It's an action. Give adoration. Say something's worthy. Sing songs to it. What we were doing this morning. Glory the name of Jesus. Let your name be glorified. That's a verb. I'm talking about the noun, the object of God's glory. And do you want to know a simple definition of what glory is? Glory is the perceivable manifestation of God's holiness. Glory is you being able to perceive the otherness of God. And that's what every single miracle is supposed to be about. Every single miracle is supposed to be about experiencing the manifestation of God's glory, which is His perceivable holiness. See, we are so limited by this reality that we perceive. You know, what we see in this world, what we experience. When God shows up, it's like He tears the fabric of this reality and lets us see a more realistic reality than what we're accustomed to. See, Adam and Eve ruined it for us. In the garden, they were able to walk and talk with God and experience and see and perceive His glory. And they even had a glory of their own that was an overflow of His glory on them. But when they ate of the tree, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, guess what? It says their eyes were open and they saw something different. They saw that they were naked. They saw their natural surroundings. They lost their ability to perceive that greater reality. And when God shows up, you guys know I've been reading a book, actually kind of rereading a book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. But in the Screwtape Letters, there's this passage, and it's, he's talking about God showing up. And he says, Screwtape Letters, it's a demon writing to another demon about how to get a Christian to fall away from the faith. It's a satire, but it's a really good book. But anyway, in it, he says, he says God, the enemy, they call him the enemy in the book, but he says, he will... He will sometimes show people a small sliver of his presence. And to them it's overwhelming, but it's just a little sliver. Because if he showed them the fullness of himself, it would kill them. Our greatest experience in Christianity, I'm talking... When we see the room filled with the cloud, what Moses experienced when they couldn't even minister in the church because the glory of the Lord was so prevalent and so prominent. When the mountain quaked and the smoke and the darkness of cloud and lightning and thunder and fire devouring the top of the mountain, all of that is nothing more than a sliver of God's glory because we can't handle more than that. And you know, This is what we should experience when we come to church. This is what we should experience when we come to church. We should experience the greater reality. We should experience God. We should encounter Him. And I know this is a little bit of a heavy message, and we're like, well, we got kids in the sanctuary. You know, we should preach something quicker. And it's like, no. I want my kids to grow up knowing that there's more to church than three songs and a sermon. I want my kids to grow up knowing that there is an aspect of church where God shows up and just wrecks the whole house. I, have, I, I don't fault anybody that, that has smoke machines. I don't fault anybody that has smoke machines. This is just my... I will never put a smoke machine in a church that I pastor. And here's the, here's the reason. Yeah, 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But here's the reason, honestly. When Faith and I started out and we were pastoring in this little country bumpkin church, we were pastoring this youth movement. There were times where you would look up and there was a cloud beginning to form in the top of the church. And what begins to happen is the very fabric of reality begins to change and you begin to see that deeper reality and this cloud begins to form in the top of the church. And if you keep going, it ends up beginning to drop. And the very thickness of the air changes. And it feels like, like melted butter or like butter that's not completely melted and you can like move the air. You f- it's the craziest thing I've ever experienced. But it begins to fall and there's a weight that comes with it. And it begins to force you down until you can't stand anymore. It forces you down to the ground. And it doesn't matter if you're old or if you're a child. I watched a four-year-old running come to a dead stop and drop and sit for almost an hour without making a sound. And it just forces you down to the ground. It's this just weight of His glory. And you can smell it. You can taste it. You can feel it in the air. It is literally an experience unlike any other. And that's what we should experience when we come to church. It shouldn't be that, that you have a mountaintop and then a valley and a mountaintop and a valley and you have a roller coaster Christianity. I've preached on this before because this is my heart. We should come to church and experience God. Because God wants to be experienced. He wants us to encounter Him. He wants us to feel Him, to hear Him, to know Him, to see Him. And sometimes it's a cloud, and sometimes it's a fire, and sometimes it's a sound as a rushing wind. But God wants to be encountered in His church. And you want to know why people have issues with church? You know how many times people come to me and say, I just, I'm tired of institutional Christianity. I'm tired of religion. I'm tired of denominations. Look, most of the time they're not tired of denominations. Most of the time they're tired of a preacher in or somebody in a church that's affiliated with the denomination so then they project that onto the entire denomination itself but listen all of that fades out when you walk into a church and you see reality torn and you see the deeper reality in the manifestation of God's glory and you can perceive it listen I don't care if I walk into a church and it's Baptist or Methodist or Church of God or Assemblies of God or Church of God of Prophecy or Episcopalian I don't care but if I walk into a church and reality is torn apart and I experience the glory of God I say one thing in my mind going back I'm going back because I want more of God I want more of that. And see, here's the great thing. You know what flows out of this? It says the disciples believe on, sorry, this stupid thing is not clipping right and it's getting on my nerves. So just bear with me a second. Anyway, the disciples believed on him. But wait a second, they were already following him. They had already been called, they were already following him, but now they believe on him. See, sometimes we go to church Because we're like, I know there's something to this, but I just don't know what. Like there's something to this Christianity, but maybe it's just a head religion. It makes logical sense. It's a cohesive argument for a good worldview. Like I get that. So I'm going to kind of test the waters. I'm going to kind of, you know, be half in, half out. My life's going to look like, you know, Christian on Sunday, Christian on Wednesday, kind of whatever the rest of the days of the week. It's going to be back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, because I just don't know how I feel about it. And I'm going to visit this church and I'm going to go to that church and I'm, you know, because I just, I'm just fleshing it out. But when you experience the glory, everything changes. Everything changes. Listen, there is not a single person on this planet that can argue me again out of Christianity because I have experienced the glory. I have seen it. 
I have tasted it. I've smelt it. I have seen God show up in a place and put people on their face. Literally the second Chronicles experience where they can't minister because the glory of the Lord. I've been there. So I know it's still New Testament applicable. It's not just an Old Testament thing. And that's what we argue ourselves out of this. We say, well, that's how God did it in the Old Testament. Now it's a new covenant. It's all about head. You know, miracles, they were just showing the institution of the new covenant. They're not really for today. That's garbage. God operates the same today, yesterday, and forever. He hasn't changed. He wants us to experience His glory. He wants us to know that there is more to this than just a message. It's not just words. Paul says, I didn't come to you with words, but with power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Because there is more to Christianity than just a cute message or a revelation nugget that we can take home and say, oh, look, I know this now. I know that now. Those are great. I love them. Give me all the revelation nuggets you have because I love the Word of God. But I want to see it. I want to taste it. Because I know that it changes things. You know how I said this is the only miracle of its type? Listen, this is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus literally changes the fabric of reality. I'm not talking about casting out a demon. That's just taking a person who's got a demon in them and removing the demon. I'm not talking about healing something because that's just restoring something that's broken or maybe recreating something that should be there and is no longer there or was there and now isn't or was never there but should have been. I'm not talking about healing. I'm not talking about raising the dead where he turns back time and fixes an issue. Those are all great, but that's not changing the fabric of reality. This is the only miracle where he takes a cup of water, not a cup, it's a stone basin, but takes water, and turns it into wine. Now, I have a bottle of water. I can leave this sitting here until Jesus comes back. And it will never be anything other than a bottle holding water. Get some air in there, it may have some mold. <laughs> but that's bacteria, growth, all that stuff. But it's never going to turn to wine, no matter how long I sit. So this isn't a miracle about him fast-forwarding the process of time. He literally changes the fabric of reality. That's what the glory is supposed to do. It changes things. It changes things. It transforms the disciples into being like, hey, we like some of the things these guy, this guy says. We're going to follow him around for a bit to know now I believe that he is God in the flesh because nobody else can do this. It changes things. And you know what the best part about this is? Is it doesn't just change the disciples. See, it changes the servants and it affects the governor of the feast. Quick side note. When you read this passage, just in our English translations, it kind of sounds like Jesus is being a jerk to his mama. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour hasn't come. That's the problem with texts and texts on your phone, too. You ever got a text from somebody or an email from somebody? You're like, wow, why are they being so rude? And then you talk to them, and that wasn't the emotion that they were conveying with that text at all. Like, they were just happy-go-lucky, but you can't read the emotion from the text. Come on. Some of you guys understand what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you guys understand what I'm saying. So, look, listen. If I'm talking to my wife, 
because my mama ain't here, but if I'm talking to my wife and I say, woman, what am I going to do with you? My, my, it ain't my time yet. I, you guys may not see me at the dinner. <laughs> I may be a dead man. But, but if she says something, I'm like, woman, what am I even going to do with you? You know I ain't supposed to do that right now. Like it changes just the mannerism of how I say it changes the facial expressions that I put with it my body language my posture all of that changes and if you want the Greek faith can walk you through that on why this doesn't actually isn't Jesus being jerkish but I'm not good at Greek so I ain't going to do that I'll stick to English but Jesus isn't being a jerk here he's being receptive even if his words may not communicate that because we can't see his facial expression and his body language and his posture. But whatever it was, it was enough for her to say to the servants, hey, whatever he says, do it. She already knew he was going to do it. By what he said and how he said it, she knew he was going to do it. And so then they fill the water pots. And notice they fill it up to the brim. That's important. They fill it up to the brim. That shows expectancy. They don't fill it up like halfway. <laughs> halfway doesn't show expectancy, right? <laughs> they fill it up to the brim because they're expecting something to happen. And when they take it to the governor, we're going to dig more into this, but when they take it to the governor, it tastes so good and is so strong, so wonderful that he has to stop everything to make comment about it. Whether you believe that it had alcoholic content or not, I don't care. What I'm talking about is it was something so spectacular that it was different from the way things were normally done. And he had to stop everything and bring the host and say, hey, 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 hey. When most people, they serve all the best food, all the best drink. And then when people are full because they're gluttonous and they're miserable and the sight of food makes them sick and the sight of something to drink makes them nauseous, then they start serving out that stuff which isn't, which isn't as good. Even if you want to talk about it from that perspective. Isn't as good. But you have flipped everything on its head. You've saved the best for last. <laughs> you know, when I was talking about this with the Lord last night, it hit me like a ton of bricks. When we come to church, what if we came to church and we experienced God tear the fabric of reality and we got to see that more realistic reality, you know, that spiritual other than, and we got to experience the fullness of God so much that it changed us, that it did a work on us because that's what the glory should do. It changes things. That when we went out, people took notice. See, this is what I envision church being like. See, right now, let's take the governor of the feast argument. Right now, we go to church, whatever church we go to. This stupid thing, driving me nuts. <laughs> Lord, glue it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <laughs> we go to church, whatever church you go to. And then we go out and we go to Walmart or wherever and we run into other people that go to church. They may go to a different church than us. And so we'll have conversation with them. And what do we talk about? We talk about how good or how bad the music was. 
what songs we're saying, whether they're our preference or not. Because we're all about our preference. <laughs> we'll talk about the preacher. Did he preach from a particular passage that we like? Did he offend us? I mean, I know you guys got the best preacher. I'm just saying. But <laughs> other people complain. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I got to sell it. It's Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I got to sell it. <laughs> Sold. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but, but no, you, you meet somebody. You talk about church. You talk about the music. You talk about the preacher. You talk about the sermon. And then what do you do? Well, you start talking about then. Then you start talking about the tea. And by tea, I mean gossip. You start talking about, Sister Shout about it took my seat this morning. <laughs> Mr. Amen's too loud was running his mouth about so-and-so. <laughs> Can you believe that she wore that outfit? You should have seen it. You should have seen it. <laughs> modest isn't hottest in her book <laughs> I'm serious you talk about the music you talk about the preaching and then you get into the tea am I lying come on church folk remember what I said take your halos off they don't belong to you anyway that's what you do that's what people do that's the ordinary flow of events in Christian life but what if, what if you show up to one of those conversations and you talk about the music because they're talking about the music and you talk about the preaching because they're talking about the preaching and then they start to get into the tea and you're like, hang on a second. I got something a little bit better I want to share with you because, yeah, our music may have been so-so and, yeah, we may have only had to been able to use canned music that week or maybe so-and-so had a little bit of cold so their voice wasn't able to hit the right notes and our preacher, he preached way too long or way too short and he offended me and he offended her. But guess what? At some point in time during the service, I saw the glory of God appear and it changed everything about our service. It didn't matter how bad the music was or how good it was. It it didn't matter how good or how bad the preaching was because God decided to show up and spend a little bit of time with us. And you know what they would do? The same thing as the governor. They would say, you're doing it different because most people, they serve the best stuff first and then they get into the drama. You serve the best stuff but then guess what? The best got a whole lot better because then you started talking about the glory. And I need that because guess what? In this, What verse is it? The third verse, second verse. Yeah, the second verse. It says, and third verse. And this, they wanted wine. They wanted wine. There was a need for it. There will always and forever be a need for us to experience his glory because that's what he designed us for. Behold, saith the Lord, I have created them for my glory. I have created them for my glory. If he created us for his glory, then that means he wants us to experience that same glory. And it also says elsewhere in the same book of Isaiah, it says, and the glory on them shall be a defense. Meaning that if we can experience this glory, it's going to set up a defense round about us. In that same book I was reading, Screwtape Letters. 
The same book I was reading, later on in the book, he talks about people, and he says, the man was walking, and a cloud formed around his head, and the the demon couldn't get a word in edgewise. He couldn't touch him. And Screwtape says, there are some Christians that walk around like this all the time, and we can't get nowhere near them. And what it was communicating to me is the glory shall be a defense. If we can experience that glory, it'll get on us, and they can't get nowhere near us. That's what I want. I want us to come in here and experience the glory of God in such a tangible way that when we walk out, it changes how people perceive us, it changes how the enemy perceives us, and it changes how we live our life. That's what I'm talking about when I say that this tearing of reality is what God has purposed church for. That's what church should be. We come together, we experience the glory, we walk out like Moses. We walk out looking like Moses, our face shining, us carrying the glory on us, and people seeing it and perceiving it and the enemy knowing it and everybody being like something is different about them. That's what church should be. That's what church should be. So church, before I'm going to continue, we're not quite done yet, we're getting close, I promise, but I want to share this with you. My request as a pastor, how many of you guys pray for the church? Raise your hands. How many of you guys pray for your church? Hallelujah. If you go to a different church normally, how many of you pray for that church? Hallelujah. Thank you. All right. I don't want you to pray for the church's finances anymore. I don't want you to pray for the church's finances anymore. I don't want you to pray for attendance anymore. I don't want you to pray for the church's longevity anymore. You're like, oh God, where is he going with this? (laughs) Hang on, Sandy, it's going to be okay, I promise. (laughs) Here's what I want you to pray. I'm serious. I want you one sentence. How many of you think you can pray one sentence over the church every day? Pray one sentence. God, manifest your glory in Faith Memorial Church. That's it. God, manifest your glory in faith memorial church because if his glory is here the seats will fill if his glory is here the finances will be taken care of if his glory is here the church will last so long as his glory is here if his glory is here everything else will be taken care of it kind of reminds you of that statement of jesus seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you let's pray for god's glory to show up and reality to be torn apart and things to be changed so that we can experience god and everything else will be taken care of you guys believe that i believe it that's why i'm asking you to do it start praying let's covenant together we're going to pray that god manifests his glory in this house all right now let's get to our part let's get our part because there is some your part in this you're probably wondering why does he have a mug the whole time he's preaching i don't know it ain't got no tea in it or coffee i got enough energy i don't need coffee hallelujah (laughs) hey hallelujah mug shot anyway (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the glory. Here, here, here's, here's the reason. Here's the reason. So these servants are told to fill the water pots. So they fill these water pots, and they're big water pots. They're the water pots for the washing of purification, right? They're big. They fill them to the brim because they got expectancy. They fill them to the brim. 
<laughs> Smith Wigglesworth said, the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. And miracles are the manifestation of God's glory, which is the visible, perceivable manifestation of his holiness. So we want expectancy. We want to fill them to the brim. David said, my cup runs over. I want you to have so much expectancy that the cup is dripping down the sides and making a mess everywhere. Hallelujah. But then comes the test. They fill it with water, and they're hoping, and they're believing, Jesus is going to turn this water into wine. He's going to do something with this water. But he doesn't. He doesn't. What's he say? He says, "Take it to, draw it out. Take it to the, feet, the governor of the feast. And then, so I can just imagine these servants, right? They got it, and they're, they're it's water. And they're walking, and the governor of the feast is at the window, and they're like, it's water. I'm getting closer. It, it's still water. Jesus, <laughs> it's still water. <laughs> it's still water. It's still water. Are you sure about this? I mean, I ain't something like, shouldn't I see like a little tent of red going on? <laughs> it's still water, Jesus. Um, <laughs> and here's what I do. Jesus, I don't know if you're paying attention to the time or not, but it's getting pretty close. <laughs> we need some miraculous stuff to happen about right now. And I believe that they get to the governor and they have to hand it to him and it's still water. Because see, faith has risk. Expectancy has risk. And it has the possibility of letdown. I'm not going to lie to you and say, you have faith, it's going to happen. I believe that. But sometimes I think I have all the faith in the world, and I'm like, Jesus, um, <laughs> faith has risk. And they had to hand this. And you, you know what I believe happened? And I do have some biblical precedent for this. See, in the Exodus, when God turned the water to blood, the children of Israel could scoop out a cup of blood but it'd be water in their hand. And if they handed that to an Egyptian, guess what? It'd go back to blood. And I believe that Jesus' miracle here, it was water until it hit the governor of the feast's hand. And then it became wine. Sometimes I believe that we can experience His glory and walk out of this place and have it all over us and not even know it. And that's what I'm praying is that whether we know it or not, His glory is so thick on us that it rubs off and overflows to everybody around us. And when they touch us, I pray that it's like Elisha. He's dead and in the ground, and a man is thrown on his bones and comes back to life. I'm praying that the glory is so thick on people of Faith Memorial that just being touched by Him or touching them, just hearing them talk, is conviction enough. Smith Wigglesworth was sitting on a train in a car, and he was minding his own business for once in his life. He was like me. He never minded his own business. Actually, I'm like trying to be like him because, you know, imitate faith, whatever. But he's minding his own business. And people fall down on their face so convicted by their own sin that they ask if he'll pray for them. And he never said a word. Because if the glory gets on you, it changes things. It changes things. And church, that's what I want more than anything else is I want us to come into this house and to not just have a good time. I'm all about having a good time. I like to laugh. Ever since God gave me the baptism of joy, I have wanted to laugh every day. I love it. I love having fun. 
I love hearing good preaching. There's not as much of it as there used to be, but I still love hearing good preaching. I love good songs. Even if I have to do it on the screen like we do sometimes. I love it. I love worshiping with you guys. I love being able to hug and say good morning and glad to see you. And I love being in God's house. I can actually identify. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I love it. But if that's all there is, church, we've lost. If God doesn't show up, Christianity should suck. And let me tell you, if God doesn't show up, it often does. That's why people are so busted and disgusted and frustrated. And sometimes overrated. Because they're doing all this without the glory. I don't want to do it without the glory. I want us to experience the glory and then carry it with us. Can you guys identify with that? Amen. Amen. I have no idea how to end this, Lord. You didn't tell me that. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that would be a great place to end it. How am I going to end this? I don't know. I don't know. You're dismissed. Hallelujah. I did that last week. I may do it again this week. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that don't make sense. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that don't make sense. And this past week I posted on social media on my Instagram page and I posted this because it flowed out of a conversation Faith and I were having. And the conversation simply ran, was about obedience. And the post was, the path of disobedience will never lead to where God wants to take you. Your disobedience will never result in being a carrier of the glory. God is asking for people to be obedient, to take faith-filled risk. And I am asking you to live your life in such a state of obedience and surrender to God that you can and you open yourselves up to being a carrier of the glory. Does that make sense, church? So, here's how I'm going to end it. I'm going to end it by reminding you of my request, my challenge as a pastor. If you go to this church or if you attend another church, that doesn't matter. But start praying for your church and say, God, manifest your glory in our church. Manifest your glory in our church. Because we can do without clever teachings. We can do without talented musicians. We can do without hugs and handshakes but we can't live without the glory amen let's pray dear heavenly father lord i thank you for an opportunity to preach your word lord i thank you for having joy in your house and i thank you god for the fact that you do so often show up and we get to experience you in the fullness of your presence and lord it absolutely floors us when you show us but a sliver of who you are God, I'm asking and I'm begging you. Don't ever let us come into this house and not experience your glory. Lord, whether we see it, whether we feel it, whether we taste it, whether we smell it, whether we hear it, it doesn't matter. I want your glory to be so thick in this house that it changes the very fabric of reality and transforms our identity, molds us and transforms us to be more like you because that's what the world needs. We're not waiting, the world's not waiting for better teaching. 
The world's not waiting for better songs or more clever Christian music. The world is waiting for the demonstration of the sons of, and daughters of God to come out and to be and to act like who God has called them to be. And Lord, I'm asking that you help us do that. Lord, we're not the only church, but I, we do play a part. And I'm asking for you to help us realize the part that we play and to fulfill that. Lord, don't let us talk about the music and the preaching and then get into gossip. Lord, I pray that you bind the tongue of every single one of us, myself included, and that none of us are allowed to say another negative word about Faith Memorial Church. Every word that we say from henceforth is positive and uplifting about this church because we can't be asking for your glory to show up on a vessel we believe is tainted. So Lord, cleanse our speech. And prepare the way for your glory to come on this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you're dismissed. Go get food. Hallelujah.